Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. And it's... It's quite a sizable reading, so make yourselves comfortable. (laughs) In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Going on to chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful... (coughs) Sorry... Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, 
and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. This is the end of the lesson. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you. And good morning and welcome to you all. Again, let me add my welcome to Natasha's. It's lovely to have you with us here. And if you're joining us online, really lovely to have you with us too. I can remember the occasion uh, as if it were yesterday. I had uh, given significant thought as to um, how I was going to pop the question to Emily to marry me. I, I was pretty young at the time. I was 20. Um, uh, but I also had a window of opportunity. Uh, Emily had yet to discover any of the uh, better, many better models out there. And I, so I thought I should strike while the iron was hot. And I was aware of the, the tradition, um, the tradition that you go and ask the father of the bride-to-be. But given that I, I wasn't sure she was that convinced she wanted to be the bride-to-be, if, if, if you understand what I mean, I, I thought I'd better get her agreement first so I didn't look too silly. So... I did that, I got down on one knee, that all went very well, uh, and then I, I went to uh, find my, my father-in-law, uh, he was in his favourite place at the family house in, in the veggie patch, and uh, uh, Emily, meanwhile, was briefing her mum, and my father-in-law was very gracious, he, he was a little bit surprised, to be honest, but anyway, he, he took it well, and we made our way back to the house. And as I walked in the back door, the first person who met me was Emily's granddad. Now, he was very much, very much the patriarch, wonderful man. And he thrust out his army handshake to me. And he looked me directly and warmly in the eye. And he said, welcome to the family. Um, and I realized I'd arrived. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. It was a very touching moment for me. I'd actually lost all my grandparents by that stage to think that I might be part of this new family. But that phrase is, has much greater resonance for us as Christians. We've been thinking for the past few weeks about church and welcome. We began, and do catch up on these sermons if, you, if you've missed them. I think it'd be a real help. You can find them on our website. Welcome as you are. The way that Christ doesn't wait for us to get worthy before he welcomes us. He just welcomes us as we are. Then we, we thought about welcome to change. We saw how Although Christ welcomes us as we are, he never leaves us as we are. And so the welcome that we extend as a church is to, is to join us as we seek to be transformed by God. Then last week, we thought about welcome to the nations, how God is welcoming people from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. And today in our final uh, sermon on this, in this series, um, it's entitled with the very same words that my, my grandfather-in-law spoke to me, those 19 years ago or so. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. We're going to be thinking about how it's God's intention for us to be a family as a church. A family brought together supernaturally by the work of Jesus Christ. And how it's God's intention also that we should work as a family, as a place to belong, a place to share our lives, a place to know and be known, a place to to love and be loved, a place of welcome for ourselves and for many others. And I'm really hoping and praying that through, through this particular theme, we're going to be encouraged to keep going deeper into the beautiful, rich, 
and yet actually also quite costly business of having meaningful, deep relationships with each other. And then we're going to have a think as well about how those of us who already enjoy that sense of family can then offer that same kind of welcome that brings others into the family to have that living experience of the family of God. One more caveat before uh, we begin this. I always feel like a fraud when I'm preaching, but on this one in particular, I'm so conscious that what we're thinking about today is not a great deal to do with the right words you know, spoken on a Sunday. This is about doing the right thing. Or to put it another way, the best sermon that you could hear on this subject is actually to be found in the lives of people around you in this church. Wonderful, often very low-profile saints who live out church as family every day. So I, I commend their example to you. But with that said, we'll crack on. So first of all, Jesus makes us family. Jesus makes us family. I wonder what you think about. What, what does the word church conjure up in your mind? Perhaps you first of all think about the building, ancient spires, stained glass windows. Perhaps you think of the event, the service on a Sunday. Well, in my research this week, I I had a bit of a look up, and apparently the seminal academic work on the subject finds 96 different word pictures for church in the Bible. And you will be pleased to know I am not going to relay all 96 of them to you in detail. But it's worth noticing that none of them feature church as a physical building or church as an event. When you organize all those 96 word pictures, you just get three basically big organizing categories. And one of those three categories is everything to do with family. Paul the Apostle calls the church God's household. You know, all those times we were reading house just then, that's as in household, family. Peter calls the church the family of believers. Now, how do we become family? How does that even start? Well, the answer is Jesus makes us family. And that's why I picked that reading from Hebrews 2. It talks about how Jesus is the pioneer of salvation. He's the focal point of it all. And that he makes us sons and daughters of the Father. Hebrews 2, verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer, that's Jesus, of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. So Jesus brings many sons and daughters to glory through his death. That's a family. As that same passage goes on, the point is repeated. Verse 11, he says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. That's both Jesus and the church are of the same family. And then it says, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. And he's not ashamed to do that. He doesn't sort of grudgingly say, all right, all right, you can come in. He looks at you and me and every person who trusts in him. And he says, I'm telling you, you are in my family. You are my brother or you are my sister. Now, when we take that and we step back, we have this amazing spiritual family portrait, if you like. We have the Heavenly Father. 
We have the perfect son, Jesus Christ, who has enabled each person uh, who comes to him in faith to be called his brother and sister. And since we all share the same heavenly father, we are all brothers and sisters. Jesus makes us family. I wonder if you've ever thought about it like that. You've ever thought about Jesus calling you sister? Or Jesus calling you my brother? Or have you ever thought about it when we gather to say the Lord's Prayer together? We're lining up as siblings before our common father. That's quite a thing to imagine, isn't it? So Jesus makes us family, but how should that affect our life together? Well, the New Testament uses this family language in all sorts of ways. One way uses it to communicate this idea of kinship in terms of real breadth. So there's this idea that we actually now have billions and billions of brothers and sisters around the world. But the New Testament also uses this idea of family to communicate depth of relationships, quality of relationships. That sense, that feeling of family in the local church. And that's what I want to dwell on uh, this morning. Just before I do that, though, I do want to emphasize that, that starting with Jesus thing. It's absolutely key. Because it reminds us that when the Bible is talking about church families, it's not talking about natural families. Now, you don't need to be in this building for very long and look around you to, 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 to see that's the case. We're not a natural family a blood family, if you like. We don't all look the same. Unlike most natural families, in fact, there may be huge amounts of stuff that we don't have in common. But we're still family. It also makes clear, starting with, with Jesus, that becoming a family is not something that we make happen. I, I think the family metaphor is actually really striking, isn't it? Natural families, if, if you've ever been part of one, which I guess most of us have, they come in all sorts, don't they? Uh, they can be healthy ones, they can be chaotic ones, they can be dysfunctional ones, they can be joyful ones. If your family's anything in mind, it's kind of all those things all at the same time put together. But whether it's going well or badly, it doesn't make us any less family or any more family. That's kind of given right at the beginning. And in the same way, Christ has made us family. These, if you look around you, these friends, these are your eternal companions. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> now, when you look around, you may feel that's just the most fantastic thing that you've, you've ever discovered. You know, all your Christmases have come at once. Equally, you may look around and you think, my word, the Lord's got a lot of work to do in between here and glory. Either way, this is your spiritual family. You did not choose me. I chose you, Jesus said. It wasn't my idea. It's not your idea. It was Jesus' purpose, and he has done it. We are family. So the question for us is simply, are we going to behave like family? Will we live out what we already are? And that brings us neatly to the practicalities. What does it look like to be God's family in this local church? Well, first of all, I want to suggest it looks like being a place to belong. It's just like a family is a place to belong. So the church should enable us to feel like we belong. The uh, secular scientists um, tell us that we, we crave personal interactions. Apparently, we crave it in the same part of our brain 
as we crave food. And apparently also we experience social exclusion and rejection in the same part of our brain where we experience pain, physical pain. And what that tells us is that belonging is one of our deepest human needs. And here's the great news. If you believe in Christ, you belong. You belong here, full stop. You just do. Your name is written on your chair, as it were. But we also long to make church feel like a family, where people don't theoretically belong, but actually experience that they belong. You know, when we think about welcome, we often imagine, first of all, sort of a nice smile at the door. And that's, that's great. That helps. But family, of course, is much more than that. It means each one of us finding ourselves eventually in relationships where we personally, individually, really matter. Now, one of the best ways of doing that within our church is to join a small group. That's a group of 10 or so people who meet regularly to support and encourage one another in faith. Now, that may be based around a common activity like the tech team, or there are other small groups that form like that. It may be a home group. I know it is for many. In a big church like this, that is absolutely critical. Sundays are brilliant. I love Sundays. But they can't deliver that sense of deep connection that each of us need. And it's only when we get into those smaller groups, when the groups get smaller scale and, and deeper, that our sense of belonging really comes alive. But it's also not just about small groups. Um, it's actually in our gift at any time to create that sense of belonging. Now, it's not easy. It's not easy. The reality in a church like this is that some of us may feel that we have more than enough belonging, frankly. We already feel that we belong so much in our nuclear family, in our workplace, our existing relationships. We, we may actually deep down resent slightly the concept that we now got to belong to something else. This is exhausting. On the other hand, there will be people among us who are lonely, who are isolated, who are overwhelmed. And those people may worry whether anyone at church will really have space for them to belong and so perhaps they might hold back. They might think, I don't want to make myself vulnerable because if I get rejected here, you know, that's just going to add. Now, here's the thing. That's really challenging, isn't it? But all of us can see that presents us with the most amazing possibility. When those two groups come together, something beautiful happens. When the nuclear families from time to time are able to open up and welcome, let's say, a single person for a meal, or perhaps the other way around, when those people are completely overwhelmed by all the family relationships that they're struggling with in their immediate family, and they're able to drop by someone where there's slightly less going on for support. Or multi-generational friendships. You know, there are those in our, in our church family who have lost grandparents. There are grandparents in our church family who, whose contact with their own grandchildren is, is, is distant because of geographical reasons or whatever. Imagine those two coming together. Now, there are many people in this church who are much more imaginative and, and can think of many other ways of, of developing this idea. I, I counsel you to find them and copy them. But you, you get the idea. So let me ask you, what about you? Do you feel you belong? Perhaps the challenge actually is for you to let yourself belong. Perhaps so far you've kind of actually just thought, oh, no, too scary. Or perhaps you do really feel you belong 
But actually, the challenge for you is, can you start to turn outwards? Can you start to be the person who enables someone else to belong? That's a place to belong. It's a place to belong. A place to belong. And secondly, a place to share our lives. Family is a place to share our lives. There's a lovely verse in the letter to the Thessalonians. Paul wrote to them. He said this, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Not only the gospel, but our lives as well. So the way church worked for Paul is that he, he longed to share not just his message, not just his Sunday morning, not even actually just his Sunday morning and a couple of hours in midweek as well, but his whole life with them. Now that is quite countercultural, isn't it? Um, that is just not how welcome usually works in our world. So take, take the cinema, right? You walk in and, you know, nice girl smiles, you're welcome, you know, lovely to see you here at the View Cinema, whatever. Um, you know, would you like some popcorn? You, know, you can go and sit over there. And then she leaves you be. Now, you don't mind a bit of chit-chat initially, obviously, but if she then comes into the cinema with you and sits next to you and sort of starts to engage you in a sort of running dialogue about, you know, what do you think about this film? Oh, it was interesting to see what they've done there. And then, and then afterwards, she say, well, before you go, do you fancy meeting up for a coffee at some stage after this? It'd be great to just chat a bit further, you know, share our love for the, for the cinema. I mean, that's just not cool, is it? That is not a cinema that's going to stay open for very long. And actually, there's so much in our culture that operates like that. It operates essentially privately. But that is the sort of thing Paul aimed for in church. So the welcome we want to offer is not simply, you know, join us for a carefully managed 70 minutes or so, where we put on our, our, our best face, but come and share in our lives. Now, that is unpredictable and messy, but it's real, and it's rich. And I love that I've learned so much from you as, as a church family on this. Um, I won't forget standing on the pontoon at uh, Thorpe Aquacock Park with uh, Kaz here, and I was, um, we were, it was one of those back-on-the-bus things for, for our youth, and I was there throwing one of my children into the water with the other 50 people who were already in the water, and Kaz looked at me and she said, this is church. Bang on, absolutely right. This was sharing our lives together. And it's amazing what happens when you share your life. It's amazing the kind of spiritual conversations that can just randomly happen when, frankly, you're focusing on something else. But also, it's just amazing what riches there are living together in, in community like that. And you learn from one another just simply by being side by side. So church is a place to, to share our lives. It's a place to belong, a place to share our lives, and it's a place to know and be known. A place to know and be known. In a family, we know one another. And that leads on from the last point. I shared this a bit with the a, with a small group leaders that are our small group leader training this, this week. The New Testament is full of all these commands to do things to one another. And basically, most of them require us to know one another first. So, for example, Paul the Apostle told uh, the Christians in Galatia to carry each other's burdens. Well, if I'm going to carry your burden, I actually need to know what your burden is. Or to put it another way around, if I don't know you, I may want to carry your burden, but I will never be able to do so, nor you for me. Or take this from Colossians 3. Paul says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
Now, when you think about that, for a whole church, that's actually quite challenging. The implication of this command is that the members of the church were close enough to one another to do each other wrong and then forgive each other. Do you know anyone in this church close enough that they might do you wrong and that you might need to forgive them? That's a challenge, isn't it? Please don't misunderstand me, by the way. I'm not encouraging you to have a grievance against each other. Please don't go looking for opportunities to embody this reality. But you, you get the idea. Now, of course, we, we, we've, got to, we've got to think about this. But we can't know and be known in any depth by 400 people. That, that kind of intimacy is just not going to happen. That's not realistic. And for all of us, it's not going to come naturally sometimes. It's hard to walk, to sort of step out towards each other. But we do need each other deeply. And that, that means knowing and being known. So I wonder, are there people here who really know you? Just a few. And who you really know? I wonder whether there are some people here who are able to offer that to someone who's new or someone who's been here for a long time, but frankly has never really made that kind of family engagement because it requires some people to make the capacity in order for us as a church to keep growing in that way. Now, I could go on. That makes us like family, a place to know and be known. Now, I must wrap up. The final place that I'd love to land on is is really where we started this series. If church is family, it is a place for welcome. Just step back for a moment. We've thought about church family, a family made by Jesus, a place to belong, a place to share our lives, a place to know and be known. But one of the characteristics of biological families is that they are fairly static. It is a rare costly and yet really beautiful thing when a family decides to open itself up to adoption, to welcome someone who didn't have a family into their own family and then accord them that full place, the full rights and status of a daughter or a son. It's wonderful. Now, in a sense, that's what we have all already received. If you trust in Christ, you've been adopted. Christ has made you a daughter and a son of the Heavenly Father. Now we have that privilege to mirror that same thing to one another. So will we, as a church, continue to willingly bind ourselves deeply to one another, depending on on God's gracious and powerful hand to give us all that we need for that? Well, I'm really praying that we will. And as, as 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 I encourage you, please encourage me in that business. But let's remember that even as we go, we we're we're sinners, we're limited. Often our own lives is all that we can cope with. And so even as we long to be a a place of family, and I hope that church is that for you, but I recognize sometimes it may have been completely the opposite for you, and I'm so sorry it has been. Ultimately, what we hope for is the last day that we've we've been singing about and, and thinking about this morning when the Lord Jesus returns and gathers us all together to be a perfect family in heaven. Perfect because it's made perfect, because it's made new, because all those relationships are, are restored. So knowing that that's where we're going, I want to encourage you day to day with God's help that we engender, we create that reality of family amongst us today. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have made us family through the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to say that we willingly take on the identity and the status that you have given us. We thank you that you've drawn us together. We thank you for the great riches of all the different people that we have the privilege of being with and coming to know. As we wait for that final day when you will gather us to be with you in the new heavens and the new earth, we pray that you would help us shape our lives together as a true family, that it would be a place to belong, a place to share our lives, a place to know and to be known, and a place for welcome. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.